So, yes. Octavia mm-hmm. says she's going to name the previous episode that we did all about the Muppets, uh-huh. Casting Stormlight. Casting Stormlight. Casting the Stormlight That'll, Archive. When people open YouTube or Spotify or whatever, that's what they'll see. They're going to see that. And we might have a bunch of angry people yeah. coming to us for this episode because this is the last one we're doing before the holidays. Well, it's important to point out, she told us that like 30 seconds ago, mm-hmm. and we did not stop her. We did not so stop her. So if she actually does it, we are partly responsible for your wrath. Yeah, I don't think she actually names them. I think Taylor names them. But okay. I'm putting this into the record, <laughs> historical record, so it has to be named that. We have a vote. Oh, oh okay. Oh, they're going to the have a vote. The publicity department like, communally decides. They Oh, they have a vote for the names. That's cool. I didn't know that. Adam is going to vote against it because he doesn't want to deal with all the angry comments. Mm, that's true. That's true. But. So, so Octavia wants it. Adam against. I guess you know Taylor and Jeremy will be the deciding factors. The deciding they'll have votes. to. Yeah, they'll have to determine. Yeah, and I don't know. I don't know how their votes are going to go. So last week I did suggest that we talk about touring and yes. travel mishaps because one of the things that happens when you travel as much as we do is you have stories. Things go wildly wrong and sometimes wildly right. Sometimes, sometimes they do. Do you want to hear a wildly right? I would love to hear a wildly right. Wildly wrong. Yeah. So this was my second tour in Taiwan. Mm-hmm. Okay. I've toured Taiwan twice. First time I went by myself, it was so wonderful. I said to my wife, you need to go with me and we need to take some extra time in Taiwan because it's delightful. I really enjoyed it. And so she agreed to go with me on the next one. And we got on a flight that was stopping in because a lot of these flights do stopping in japan mm-hmm. tokyo narita which isn't really tokyo but outside of tokyo and then flying on okay on our way there we got struck by lightning the plane did the plane got struck by lightning okay and a plane getting struck by lightning it was not a huge concern i think we had some internal power outages but it's like the sort of thing a plane is designed to deal with yeah but when they landed they said the plane is not allowed by regulations to fly on without having a full checkup Mm. for whatever happened. I mean, I don't know if this is like, you know, a special type of, you know, we got hit by Thor's lightning. And so, (laughs) you know, you got it. But whatever it is, they're like, we have to have a special checkup. And we're like, uh, so we sat in the airport for an hour or two, probably two Mm -hmm. hours. And we all thought it was going to be fast because we just, you know, sometimes you don't even have to deplane for those things, yeah. but they had to deplane us. Apparently they were going to do like these things to check it up and get us going fast. And they found they couldn't do it. So they came and they said, all right, we are going to have to reschedule you all for a flight that this time it was like, you know, 10 PM. Like next, we're going to put you all on a flight at 4 AM. Oh, and fortunately there's a hotel and we're going to take you to the hotel. And so they put us all through customs. Right. Mm-hmm. And meanwhile, because I've traveled so much, pretty high medallion status on Delta, which we were flying. Yeah. The Diamond, which is like their, their high, super mm-hmm. polluting. And I never get to use it for anything because I just always buy a business class seat because I don't want to risk not getting it. Normally, you can get yeah. those like 50% of the time percent of the time free. But this time, I called the line, and I'm like, this just happened. Is there a plane I can take that isn't at 4 in the morning? And they said... Actually, there's one uh, a day later at like 10 p.m. If you wanted to spend a day in Tokyo, 
And I looked at my wife and she said, yeah, I'd spend a day in Tokyo. <laughs> so we all left to get on the bus to go to the thing. And mm-hmm. Emily and I just went and got a taxi instead. Went and found a hotel in Tokyo and spent the next day in Tokyo. Came back, didn't have to get up at, you know, yeah, and get on a flight at 4 a.m. And then flew on and had one less day, but we had plenty of time scheduled in Taiwan, in Taipei. And had an extra day in Tokyo, and it was delightful. We went to a fancy steakhouse. We walked in some parks. We got some ramen. We saw some museums. Cool. I really enjoyed it. It's one of one of the highlights of that trip was doing that. Was and the extra extra day in Tokyo. unintentional day in Tokyo? That's mm-hmm. awesome. Yep. Just because you know we were willing to just not have to go with the flow and get on the bus and get on the thing and stuff like that. So yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. Yeah, I think I've already told you many of my good things that happen while traveling end up being interactions with celebrities. Okay. And I know I've already told you about the time that I ended up staying overnight with a bunch of actors in Dallas. Take the pen. What do I do with the pen? pen. Drop it. Say, did I drop that? Did I drop? Oh, my friends, my friend John Delancey. Oh, did I drop that? Oh, this wasn't John Delancey. Okay, okay. That's an Earl joke, by the way. Whenever he brags, he's like, oh, did I drop that? You know, it's like (laughs) the equivalent of a humble brag, like, Mm -hmm. you know, oh, you know, I got a raise. Oh, did I drop that? I just got a raise. You know, he'll do it more smooth than that. It'll be like, after I got my last raise, but then he'll intentionally drop something. That he gets to... He gets yeah. to say that I just pay did attention just, to the fact that yeah. I just uh, did it. I am bragging to you. Mm-hmm. So this is another celebrity encounter. Yeah. This is not a Dan's Famous Friends because oh. I don't know this guy well. Uh-huh. But He only stayed at his house. No. That's a different story. We okay. told that story already. This okay. is a different story. It's also a Pensacon story, though. Okay. Because Pensacola is awesome. One of the great things Pensacola does is they will pick up the guests from the airport. And Mm -hmm. drive them to the hotel. Which is really nice. Which is really nice. Not all cons will do that. Most cons won't do that for authors at all. Mm -hmm. And this one does it for everybody, which is great. Mm -hmm. And so the first year I went there, I actually had the flu. And I was Mm -hmm. feeling really sick and horrible. But I was in a car with one of the voice actors from Attack on Titan. And I can't remember her name or the character. And Garrett Wang, who plays Enzin Kim on Star Trek Voyager. Okay. Mm-hmm. And we got to talk, and I'm a big Star Trek fan, and that mm-hmm. was really awesome. And we talked for a while. Mm-hmm. And then the following year, I went back to Pensacon, and I wasn't sick, but I did end up once again in a car with Garrett Wang a second time. And he remembered me and asked if I was sick. So that was kind of cool. So your pal, Garrett Wang. Yeah, my mm-hmm. good buddy, Enzin Kim. Enzin Kim. Asked if I was going to infect him with the flu a second time. As far as I know, I didn't give him the flu the first time either. If I did, I would kind of consider that to be cool. So he goes by Wang? Isn't it Garrett Wang? Because if it's Korean, what's mentioned Kim was, it'd be Wong. But that might have been Romanized because Wong means king. But it could be Wang, and I'm just... Wang is how he introduced himself? If he, if he himself? says it, then it's curious. Um, I'm wondering what the heritage is well, there. And I know a lot of people mm-hmm. will just go with the way that Americans yes. pronounce their name. Right, right, like right. Like Soraya Cordoba, yeah. she pronounces her last name Cordoba mm-hmm. because... That's how Americans say it, and right. so it's just easier. And the thing about it is, if your ancestors come over, oftentimes there's like standardized Romanization 
of certain names. And then you just, they just become, right? Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sure my name wasn't pronounced Sanderson originally. It's Norman. And so, you know. Norman? Yeah. It goes back to the Norman mm-hmm. invasion. Alexander was the name and then Alexander's son. And then mm-hmm. it stuck. So, cool. you know, it's totally fine to say Samsung, right? Mm-hmm. Is that grating on your ear when you hear like the Spanish versions? Because Samsung is what I've always called it. Some of them do. Yeah. One that bothers me irrationally mm-hmm. is when people say singular tamale. Ah. One tamale. One tamale. Because it's actually a tamal. Okay. But because Ooh. pluralizing something in Spanish often adds an extra syllable, uh-huh. it's not tamals, it's tamales, because they don't put S's into consonant clusters. Sweet. That's cool to know. So when we singularize it, it's a tamale. Americans will say tamale, which is not correct, but it is so standard in America as to now be correct, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. That bugs me, even though it shouldn't. Yeah. Hyundai is the one that bugs me. Even oh, though really? it shouldn't. Yeah. Because <laughs> I don't think I've heard Hyundai ever pronounced Hyundai. No, no in one America ever says it that way. Ever. And it's totally fine. I bet they say Hyundai or whatever, like in the corporate, because it's the Romanization mm-hmm. and things like that. But drives me up the wall. I lived in Hyundai apartments a lot when I was in Korea and things like that. And so the word, I just can't quite connect it. Hmm. But that's completely off. Let's go to that's a different topic on touring. Okay, let's go back to touring. Worst touring experiences? Worst. Yes. I mean, flying through Dallas-Fort Worth, which is the worst airport in the world, with the flu on my way to get Garrett Wang sick in Pensacola, ranks up there just because Uh of how trashy I felt. I can empathize with that. Yeah. The worst airport for me is always either DFW or it's Heathrow. I have had more delays. I've had more lost luggage. I've had more stupid Uh things happening there in those two airports than anywhere else. It's kind of interesting because I don't even register. I've only been through DFW a couple of times, but not registered. I go through Houston all the time Mm -hmm. and it's a fine airport, but it's a labyrinth. Yeah. It's so unappealing. Have you ever been on their little monorail? Yes, I have. It's so weird. I've gone on the monorail a bunch of times. I've stayed at the hotel that's attached, Mm -hmm. which I always really like. But it's a labyrinth, but I don't consider it a bad airport. I just don't consider it a good airport. Yeah. Like my favorite airports, let's see. My favorite airports are probably Minneapolis-St. Paul. Just love that airport. What Part of why it is, I will give points to an airport based on a couple of factors that maybe others don't consider. (laughs) One is bookstores. Mm -hmm. Does it have bookstores? Yeah. Two, do you silo me into one little part that I can't get out of while I'm waiting for a transfer or Mm -hmm. while after I get in? Or will you let me go see the whole airport and see all the cool things you've put out and visit all the different bookstores? And Minneapolis is a square with a train in the middle and the four terminals are along the square. And so you can get on a train and just go around this thing and get off at any of the terminals. You can Mm -hmm. walk, you know exactly how far it is. Like the furthest you could be is not that far. You can walk it in a little bit of time. You can mm-hmm. always get anywhere you need to go. Yeah. So it's such a great airport, and I really like it. Huh, that's cool. Yeah, that's another one of my problems with Heathrow, honestly, mm-hmm. is that Heathrow's international terminal is completely siloed, which is true of most international terminals, yeah. and you, I shouldn't complain. You know where it's not, though, is probably the best airport just kind of 
not maybe my favorite, but the best on the books, I would bet, is Atlanta. Atlanta doesn't silo them off. You're correct. You could it get, just takes a long time to get to and from huge, it. It's just huge, right? Yeah. And that's the reason. But they do this thing where it's, all the terminals are a strip, mm-hmm. and then there's one train down the middle of them. Yeah. And you can get to any of the bookstores you need to. Mm-hmm. It's actually got some interesting design work and things to it. So yeah. I give Atlanta good marks, and I can go all the way. The, the International Terminal has the, the nicest of the bookstores. It's been a while, but the uh, international terminal has yeah. the worst of the restaurants. Does it? In my opinion. But Peter, but. bookstore Peter, if you're watching this, uh, <laughs> he probably isn't. But he he was the one of the guys that worked at the Atlanta okay. in that specific Simply Books. Really nice guy. One of the ways that I judge an airport mm-hmm. is by first of all whether it has a Popeyes and yep. how accessible it is. That's even a little more irrational than mine. Let's be honest. I mean, I really like Popeyes. Okay. And when I'm traveling, my mm. comfort food is either noodles okay. or it is Popeye's fried chicken. Okay. The one redeeming aspect of DFW is that there's a Popeye's and I know where it is. Like for my own insecurity, I will always go immediately to my gate. Even if I have mm-hmm. an hours long layover, uh-huh. it's like I'm going to go to my gate, make sure I know where it is. And then I'm going to leave and I'm going to go somewhere else. And... Dallas is not the easiest airport to get around in despite the train, but the Popeyes is relatively close to one of the escalators. See, me. I'm usually running to bookstores is what I like to do. I usually like to do the bookstores when I fly out rather than when I arrive because mm-hmm. when I arrive, I have more time, but there's usually someone waiting for me in a car. Yeah. And I don't want to make them wait. And so I make sure because you have to arrive early. So I go and I see all the bookstores and I sign all the books in the bookstores. But there are a lot of airports that just don't have bookstores anymore. Yeah. Our airport. Or they have really crappy bookstores. Well, well, here's the thing. You'll see ones that say bookstores. This is this is little insider baseball. Our airport has a Deseret News and a King's English bookstore. Yeah. If you go to them both, they're not actual bookstores. They actually are both licensed. They aren't the the bookstore taking care of it. They license the title. I believe it's Hudson who's licensing them. And then it's basically like at the supermarket, if you have books, occasionally Mm -hmm. bestsellers like right in the racks as you're going in, it's only those books. So it's not an actual bookstore. Not a full selection of anything. Yep. It's, I wouldn't even call it a bookstore. I call it a newsstand that's shelving a few books. Mm-hmm. And it kind of makes me sad because we used to have a really good bookstore, Tony. I'm sorry. He was great. He still works there. If you ever see Tony, he collects shot glasses. So I get him shot glasses from the places <laughs> I would go and bring him into the Simply cool. Books there in the old terminals. But they closed that bookstore down. So wait, um, he still works, what, for like a Hudson News? So what happens at the airports mm-hmm. is a big company that's above Hudson. Hudson's just one of the brands they have. Comes okay. in and buys rights to the whole terminal. Mm. that they can put their stores in. And they will have occasionally deals with other stores. So sometimes like, I think usually like for instance, the Lego store isn't Hudson or whoever they're higher ups doing it. They actually have them, but all the employees for most of these stores are interchangeable. You go the day and they tell you which store they need you at, which is why when you go to the bookstores, there aren't booksellers usually. But Tony loved books and his managers knew that he loved books. And so if there was a slot at the bookstore, they put him in because he sold books better than anyone else because he reads and loves books. Mm -hmm. But there are days where he'd get there and they'd just be like, yeah, you're working over here and you're selling gum. 
at the thing and he'd do that instead because you're hired by the company yeah. to fulfill. And most of the stores there, even whatever the storefront is, they actually are running and buying the product from them and running mm -hmm. it for them. Once in a while, they're not. Obviously, the restaurants are different and things like that. But that's kind of like the, the short of it. And so this is why you don't see a lot of bookstores don't make a lot of money even when they're not in airports and they didn't make a lot of money even back in the day. And now it's even worse with a lot of people who fly using Kindles, which I understand, but it means no bookstores. We lost our bookstore. I actually think Minneapolis lost all their bookstores. I haven't been back in a while, but I think yeah, last probably. I checked. I haven't been through Minneapolis in a mm -hmm. long time, so I don't know. Before COVID, the ones I could guarantee had bookstores were Atlanta and actually Chicago. Mm -hmm. Chicago has great bookstores, independently run in the airport. I know that you can write fairly well on airplanes. I can't. I cannot. And so for me, traveling is reading. Yeah. And if I am going to be on a trip that lasts longer than a week, I will inevitably end up buying more books in a, an airport bookstore. I did a three-week trip a few years ago. That was Gen Con and Peru and Bolivia all back to back mm -hmm. and ended up buying two or three books to get me through that one. I would rather not have to write too much. Like on tours, I would get writing done. My only writing I would really usually get done is during the flight to whatever place I was going. Mm -hmm. And I think my touring experience is probably a little different than yours. Probably would be what I would guess because yeah. my most miserable, I didn't get to mind my most miserable experience ever on tour okay. was probably words of radiance book tour. And the words of radiance book tour was 28 days. Oh, and there was a stop every day except Sundays. And so the touring schedule one stop. Did they ever double you up? They don't double up here for me because they do in the UK, mm -hmm. but you've got to remember. So here's what it is. I would get up. I'm not good with mornings, right? Yeah. I didn't have good insomnia medication back then. If I'm on tour, my sleep schedule is just terrible mm -hmm. because if you change the time you have to get up every day, then it's going to mess up your sleep schedule anyway. I'm yeah. an insomniac. And so sleeping was really hard. Like these are nights where I'm like, I'm exhausted after the signing, I go to bed and then I lay there for four hours and then, you know, sleep for two and get up. So usually I'm mm -hmm. getting up because I have to get up at like six to get on a plane by like nine, yeah. right? And then they often, one of the chronic problems in New York is keeping publicists. Oh yeah. Publicists don't get paid enough. They don't get treated well enough. And there's this sense that to move up, you have to move jobs and often out of the industry to publicize somewhere else. Mm -hmm. So you're always having new publicists and it's really not their fault, but they do not understand how to make a book tour, right? And so they go and they make this thing. And so what's happening with me is these are major books. And so you often are flying back and forth rather than flying to a place and then flying another short hop to a place and things. It's like mm -hmm. you have a signing in DC, the next one is in Texas, and then the next one is at Harvard Coop, yeah. and then the next one's in Texas again, right? Mm -hmm. And so it's just this really miserable thing where they're often three-hour flights, right? So you're getting there, you're doing a three-hour flight. Remember, the signings go until 1 a.m. or 2 a.m., mm -hmm. right? They, they start at six or seven, and they they go, you know, hours, hours, and, hours. and hours and hours. Yeah. And I only so, have those in South America. Yeah. And so 28 of these in a row with one day off a week, getting no sleep, 
arriving and the Saturday ones are always at like one. So on Saturday, there's just no sleep at all. And mm -hmm. I'm a zombie because, you know, the standings aren't at six, they're matinees, so to mm -hmm. speak. And on that tour is the time where I collapsed in the last week. I walked into my room and just collapsed onto the floor and just Ooh. laid there for hours. I lost track of time. I was nauseous. I think I threw up and just laid there trembling mm -hmm. because I thought I could do all of this and yeah. I should, right? And the publicist did not schedule this very well and they didn't understand maybe getting Brandon some sleep and they don't understand that, you know, it's not hard work on one regard to sit and sign from six until 2 a.m., right? Mm -hmm. What, that's like eight hours of work. It's a normal work day, but you've flown all day. Yeah. You've gotten up and then signing, you want to be there for people, right? Mm -hmm. Like you don't want to be that curmudgeonly author that people come talk. and doesn't talk. And it, and so you want to be on, you want to be emotionally and mentally available to the people in line. And so, mm -hmm. you know, and then there would be a speech for an hour beforehand and a Q&A and then like a seven hour signing, five to seven. Some, some of them might get done at, yeah. at midnight or something like that. And that tour, the tour... Like I have flashbacks to that tour. And so that's where that's where Emily said, maybe we shouldn't do this anymore, Brandon. <laughs> and if you see the last decade, my touring schedule just kind of go. Yep, has gone way down. This is, Somebody this is asked why. me yesterday mm -hmm. how much you charge for an appearance. Yes. And my answer was basically, there's no amount of money. There's no amount of money. <laughs> I, will, I will go and do things because I want to be there for the fans. Mm -hmm. We actually put up once a thing for what we thought was an outrageous amount of money. And we immediately got a bunch of people saying they wanted to hire me for it. And I realized I just can't take this. We had to cancel yeah. and say, I'm sorry, Brandon just can't. You know? Even for that. Even for six figures, Brandon won't do an appearance. Because it's not about the money. It's no. about, mm -hmm. I just feel horrible and my health is and family are more important. And I want to write the books, right? Yeah. I want to write the books. So there's my worst experience. It has nothing to do with the fans. It's <laughs> mm -hmm. not even really the publicist's fault. It's it, the publisher's the fault. The way the publishing industry yes. does tours is foolish and weird. Yes. If they hired people who knew what they were doing and would pay people to stay long enough to learn what they're doing, that's really what it is, mm -hmm. then you'd probably have good tours. But yeah. the next tour we did after that, Emily scheduled it. Mm -hmm. And they're like, oh, we can't do a signing there this day because the bookstore's full. We can fly them across the country. She said, no, we're giving them a day off on that day. And mm -hmm. the tours got a lot better when yeah. my wife stepped in. When you start putting your foot down like that. Yeah. All right. So my, I don't know if this is my worst all-time mm -hmm. travel experience, but it is the one I'm going to say. Okay. Mm -hmm. When we went to Germany, mm -hmm. we moved our whole family to Germany 10 years ago. Basically, put everything we owned into a storage unit. I think mm -hmm. we had one suitcase and one backpack per person uh -huh. because that's what we could take for free on a Delta flight. And so we got there. Two years later, we had accrued a lot of stuff. Uh -huh. I wasn't able to bring home my coffee table, which I loved. I loved that coffee table. But, you know, toys that they'd gotten for mm -hmm. Christmas and things like that, we were able to ship most of that home. Mm -hmm. But it was prohibitively expensive to ship all of it. Right. We found out that we were flying home Turkish Airlines. Okay. Which gave two checked bags for free uh -huh. plus a carry-on plus a personal item. Okay. I had, at the time, five children between the ages of two 
and this was eight years ago, so 13, <laughs> two to 13 years old. We had two full-size suitcases for each. So that's 14 full-size suitcases. Uh-huh. We had seven carry-on bags and we had seven backpacks. And we had a car seat because the youngest was two years old. Mm-hmm. There's no way that two adults and... Yeah. Two useful children yeah, out of yeah, the five yeah. can adequately navigate that amount of stuff. Yes. So a bunch of friends from our neighborhood helped us go to the airport. We arrived with like mm-hmm. a ton of people. They stood in the line. They helped us check through. And, okay. and then they said goodbye and we sailed away. Turkish Airlines, first flight Stuttgart to Istanbul. Yep. We had to haul our carry-ons and our backpacks and the car seat. But that's all the children. But that's it. The rest of it stayed, checked through. I know where this is going. Not to final destination. Yep. I know where this is going. (laughs) But we had to get from one side of Istanbul to the other side of Istanbul. Mm -hmm. That airport is immense. Have you been? I have not been through that one. It is gargantuan. Okay. And uh, they did not have, at the time, a train, or at least we couldn't find one. Right. And so we had to walk. We had, I think, a two-hour layover and spent most of it walking okay got to the other end then we flew istanbul to houston okay oh no houston yes we had an eight hour layover okay and because it was an arriving international flight they would not check the bags straight through to salt lake so they gave them all to us except the one they lost that one was just gone we didn't get that one for months so months, we really? had just yeah months. Wow. We had thirteen full size suitcases and seven carry ons and seven backpacks, which we had to move to instead of just going straight outside to get our car mm-hmm. to our hotel, we had to go to the other terminal because that's where the lost bag office was. So that little dumb train in the Houston airport. Yep. If you've never been on the train in the Houston airport, it's like a really long beige hallway that looks like the back hall of a mall or something. It's not like a cool underground. It doesn't look like a subway. It looks like a carpeted hallway that has a miniature train that runs through it. And we got all of our stuff. We took an entire train car all by ourselves. And I think there's only two, maybe three cars on the train to begin with. Got to the other side. Kids are screaming and tired. They've been flying for hours. They're starving to death. Lost bag said, well, we'll do what we can. And then we had to go from the airport to our hotel, which took, I want to say, three trips in the Uber that we got. And so it was like one of those puzzles where you're like, you've got two wolves and three ducks and four bags of grain. How do you ferry them across the river? Mm -hmm. How do we get our stuff from one place to the other with none of it being stolen or kidnapped. And of course it's Houston, so it was like a monsoon downpour the whole time. Don't they have at Houston the lockers? Not that we saw. Most international airports have the lockers where you can, they can really only fit like one or two pieces of luggage. They might've had those in Mm -hmm. the first terminal. Right, but you're uh, the but other by one. the time we yeah. got to the lost bag right. place, they're like, "Nope, yeah. there's nothing we can do. We yeah. can't hold this. You can't check it today and fly tomorrow. You just have to take it with you." Mm-hmm. So, massive process to get yeah. to that hotel. That sounds miserable. Where we slept, you know, seven people in the one motel room for like 
five hours and mm-hmm. then did the whole process again in the morning. And of course, it was raining again. Yep. Then we flew from Houston to Phoenix. My oldest, she was 12 or 13 at the time. It's Audrey. She used to work uh-huh. for you. She did not want to get off the plane in Phoenix because she's like, if I get off the plane, she's the one who most was most sad about leaving Europe. She right. wanted to be European. Mm-hmm. And so she was staying in her seat and she was really being kind of grumpy and sad. And and I, you know, am sympathetic to that. She lived there yep. for two years and I uh-huh. uprooted her and took her to a different country. And the very kindly flight attendant was like, oh, that's so sad. Would you like me to help encourage her to get off? And I said, that would be wonderful. Thank you very much. And then the sweet old lady act disappeared. And she looked over at my daughter and said, hey, if you don't get off right now, I'm calling an air marshal. So Audrey started crying and got off the plane. We had to, you know, walk to another terminal in Phoenix. The one good part of this trip is that there was like, you know, it's Phoenix. So there was Mexican Mm -hmm. food and we hadn't had good Mexican food in two years. And my wife got a bunch of burritos. And then you've never seen as much joy on anyone's face as Don eating a burrito after two years of, of no good Mexican. Then we, you know, finally got home. Anyway, that was Phoenix to Salt Lake. That was the last leg. That was our odyssey of disaster. Uh, that sounds real bad. Oh. I don't think I've ever had a single flight experience anywhere in the realm of that, right? <laughs> like mine is a sequence mm-hmm. across the month. I've never had a flight yeah. go that poorly. You, you, want, you want to know the big capstone at the end of this? All five kids had lice by the time we got home. And I don't know if it was from one of the four airplanes they were in mm-hmm. or if it was from one of Audrey's friends in Stuttgart gave her a comb as a going away present. It may have come from that. It may have mm-hmm. come from a headrest. I don't know. But it was the icing on the cake. Our brand new home that more we like had just bought and moved into. Yeah. More <laughs> like a dusting of powdered sugar. Yes. Yeah. We had a lice infestation to top it all off. Okay. So, yeah. Best flight experience? Best flight experience. Boy. Mine is probably Tokyo. It was one of the Japanese airlines Mm -hmm. where I, one of the very first times I managed to get into business class, international, first class, international. It was my first Taiwan trip. And it was only the leg from... It wasn't the big long leg. It was the leg from like Tokyo to... uh, Mm -hmm. And I remember... The Japanese just really know how to take care of people. <laughs> and I felt really taken care of on that flight. Good. So. That's awesome. Thumbs up. Have you ever been through the Tokyo airport? No, I've never been mm-hmm. further east than Istanbul. Okay. Because, like, they do the security thing, right? Mm-hmm. But there's a person with white gloves who slips your shoes off if you need your, like you sit down, they take your shoes off and they put them themselves on and then they put booties on you so you can walk through and then you sit down in another one, like literally put my shoes back on for me. Right? And this is just for everybody. everybody. This isn't like This isn't a first class fancy... thing. No, wow. this is just nice. like, and everything's like, like the line was somehow short despite them doing that. Mm-hmm. And everyone like was so polite and like white gloves and you feel like you're just getting taken care of even when you're going through security. So that yeah. whole experience, thumbs up on that. I will nice. say Emirates did have a nice airplane as well. That would probably be the second okay. nicest experience I've had. But I've never been in the nice part of Emirates Airlines. So mm. Emirates has 
as I understand, they have your coach, right? Mm -hmm. And then your comfort, and then your business class, and then your first class, and then your suite. Uh, and I've never been in first class. Have you? You've never had like the crazy rich Asians? Nope. Private suite. Nope. I've thing. never had the suite. I've never even had the one underneath that. Oh, okay. Because the business class already has lie flat seats, mm-hmm. but the first class, it's like a lie flat seat and like a little wall and a thing uh, and stuff like that. And then there's if you're a shake, you want to fly in the the room yeah. with the with the with the shower and and a queen. Like that's that's two ranks above. So <laughs> the lie flat seats mm-hmm. are so nice. They're amazing. I started shelling out for those as soon as I could legitimately afford it because mm-hmm. then if it's a long flight, I can sleep on the plane. I know, yeah. but I can't if I'm sitting up, but if I'm laying down, I can, I can. never sleep mm-hmm. basically in anything that's moving. A okay. plane, a train, a, a automobile. John Candy, join you on that Those one aren't too. pillows. Yeah. But the first time... Actually, both times that I've gone to Argentina, they've mm-hmm. flown me first class. Mm-hmm. And those lie-down first-class seats are so nice. Yeah. The only time I've ever been able to sleep on a plane. And I can sleep in those, and then you can arrive, like, ready to go. It mm-hmm. basically saves you a day, yeah. which is why I usually don't which have to pay for them. Financially, they are worth it. Other people usually pay for them. But if I'm going on my own, I buy them now. You mm-hmm. want to know, spoiled. Okay. When we fly to Hawaii with my kids, mm-hmm. I want to be in those seats. But I have to do the math thinking, if I'm going to be up in those seats, I can't like make my wife not be in the seats, right? So we got to mm-hmm. buy those. And then like, what do we do with three children? Do we send these three little monsters back to be someone else's problem? And the answer is that's irresponsible. Mm-hmm. So either I have to sit in the back, mm-hmm. which I've done before, or we buy them all business class seats, which we've done more often. So you get these little, you know, like Oliver's like eight mm-hmm. when we did this, this little guy in his business class seat. And that's what they think flying is like, right? They're like, oh yeah, yeah you go, to this, you lay down. You, yeah. So. It's wonderful. This, this is why, this is why, this is why the children of people like myself have this danger of spoilization. Mm-hmm. We've talked to the kids about this. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Making sure they understand practicalities. Yes. Of, yeah. I mm-hmm. uh, spent a lot of time, many years working in, you know, back when I had a day job, mm-hmm. most of those companies were owned by ridiculously wealthy people. Mm-hmm. And most of them were very normal. Their kids are weird. So it is a it is a legit legitimate worry issue. I will say that the really wealthy people that I knew growing up, they owned a big trucking company that lived mm-hmm. nearby. And for whatever reason, we got to know them. Their kids were delightful. That's awesome. Right. The whole family, just just wonderful people. That's good. It's not an automatic. It's not an automatic thing. Yeah. OK, um, so my best uh, yes. flight experience, mm-hmm. completely different direction and flavor than what okay. we've been talking about. I flew back to Europe a few years ago, 2017, for the Riding Excuses cruise. Okay. And on that transatlantic flight, I thought, oh, good, I haven't had a chance to watch Arrival yet. It's here. It's a good movie. I'm going to watch it. And I watched it and blew my mind. I we thought, should talk about Arrival It is going to be a long time before yeah. I see a science fiction movie that good. Mm-hmm. What should I watch next? Oh, look, they have your name. <laughs> I want to see that, too. And that one, if possible, was even better. I have never, in any experience, airplane or otherwise, watched two movies that good and that surprising back to back. 
I love them both. I'd have trouble picking, but I might arrive at your name as well. I yeah. don't know. I'm not sure if I if I can pick. They're very different movies. They're incredibly different, mm-hmm. but they are both incredibly heartfelt yet cerebral science fiction that really uses the science to yes. do interesting things about human experience. Yeah. Um, Slam dunk 10 out of 10s in both cases. Yeah. Like, and I had never seen either. Mm-hmm. I knew essentially nothing about either. Oh, you hadn't read the short story? No. Oh. And okay. so I went into mm-hmm. both of them cold. And I don't know if I'm ever going to have a double feature that impactful again. We'll have to talk about that because Arrival, like part of the genius is the short story is a masterpiece. Mm -hmm. And the movie can't do what the short story does because of limitations of form. Mm -hmm. So they do something similar but different that works just as well. Yeah, When a movie does that, it's just... It's so wonderful. There's very few movies that have been able to do that, like Princess Bride, but even like even like The Prestige doesn't quite manage it. So. Which is another example mm-hmm. of trying to adapt a very interesting yeah. prose format. Yep. Yeah. So, hmm. We will have to do an episode on those. I'll have to rewatch Arrival. We can, we can, we can rewatch them both. In the I recently episode. did rewatch Your Name. Your Name. Uh, okay. Used your theater here. Oh. A bunch of friends were visiting from out of town, mm-hmm. and they're like, hey, can we see a movie in the theater? And I said, yes, of course we can. And uh, schedule it with Jane. Uh-huh. And she's like, okay, I got you a two-hour slot, but no one has it after you. You can stay until midnight. Mm-hmm. So that was six hours. So we watched Sing Street which is yeah. an indie Irish movie that I adore and everyone should watch Sing Street. Then we watched Your Name and then we closed off with Bride and Prejudice. Okay. And <laughs> I took all my kids and my youngest, the or not my youngest, the one who was the youngest in the Istanbul story and is now 11 years old, he did not want to watch Your Name because the opening credits make it clear that there's going to be a love story. But it's an incredibly beautiful and compelling movie. And so even though he was determined to not watch it, he saw just enough to get him hooked. And then he sat and was making loud exclamations throughout the whole thing. And it was a wonderful way to watch because something would happen and he would say, oh, you're gotta be kidding or something like that. And it was it was pretty great. And then at the end he said, I loved that movie. Never make me watch it again. Uh, two things on this before we go. Because mm-hmm. yeah. we're over time. Yep. Number one, one of the secret projects, partially inspired by your name. Really? It's part of, there's like three inspirations. I'm excited. And it, that's one of them. And number two, have you seen Weathering With You? Weathering With You. It says the filmmaker who made your name's next film. No, I am not. Okay. Well, we that's can talk about that That's something that I have to watch now. Okay. How's that, Ben? How's that, he or? 